Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I'm a hospice social worker. And today I have my mother with me. Hello. And today we were talking about uh, scary things. Yeah. Like how what happens when you find a random lump in your neck <laughs> and you start thinking all the thoughts. All the weird thoughts, bad thoughts, nasty thoughts. So why don't you give a little background about the beginning of this conversation? Well, last night, I was laying in bed just before I went to bed. And it won't be last night by the time this podcast comes out. But. Right. <laughs> I felt this lump in my throat, assuming it was just a lymph node. Mm-hmm. But it got me to thinking. I mean, I've known a lot of people that have passed. I've been a caregiver. As we talked about before. As we talked about before. But, and with my caregiving, I knew the diagnosis of whoever I was caring for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how do you, and I was happened to be there, so I already knew the, the, you know, diagnosis. So how do you go about telling your family if you have something bad, serious? And you were thinking this because, you know, we all catastrophize everything. We do. And, uh, like, our therapist had lymphoma. Did mm-hmm. he, is that what he had? Mm-hmm. And that was a shock when we found that out. But And he passed in two months. Yeah, he passed very rapidly. Mm-hmm. And how do you have that conversation with your loved ones when one minute now... I've thought about my own mortality a lot of times because I've had two heart attacks. i got to think about that kind of thing. And luckily they were minor, but you're not a spring chicken. Right. But. Do you want to say how old you are? I'm going to be 70 this next year. So. In five months. Five months. Yeah. Five months. Yeah. I'm 69 and a well, half. <laughs> I would say six, <laughs> six months really because it's the end of May. But yeah. Uh, so. How do you have that conversation with your family? How do you tell them when one of them is not with you to get that diagnosis Mm -hmm. and you do it by yourself? How do you have that conversation? That's that's a curiosity to me. Yeah. How do people tell their family they're dying or they have cancer or, you know, what do you do? You're scared yourself. Yeah. You know, you're already freaked out (laughs) and you would freak them out, of course. But I'm just curious about how that would go. How would you communicate that? Yeah. Well, and I was saying that there's a lot of different scenarios to how people get a terminal diagnosis. Obviously, uh, sometimes they are already with family when they get that diagnosis. Sometimes uh, something happens, they have an exacerbation, and then they end up in the ER and they get that news. Um, that's also going to, it's going to change how you respond to it by what your prognosis is. So if you, for example, the example I was giving, you're out chopping wood and you have, you know, like a shortness of breath and fatigue and you end up in the ER and all of a sudden you have a terminal diagnosis because cancer is throughout your body and you have two weeks to live. There's no scenario in which treatment is possible in that. So that's a very different situation than... I have a lump in my breast and there's treatment available. Here's the options. And you have 
you know, if you don't get treatment, you have six months to a year or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the scenario is. Um, and those are both cancer diagnoses too. Yeah. You know, so, you know, cardiovascular, all different kind of prognoses. I mean, you can live with congestive heart failure for years and, or you can drop dead of a heart attack. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there's, there's no set way, but back to your original point was, what do you do if you go into the doctor and you find out something that's terminal or could be terminal? Right. Uh, I think it also depends on how you get into the doctor in the first place. Like, for your example, you felt something the night before you already had a doctor appointment. Yeah, but that was a routine exam through my cardiologist. Right. But I'm saying, like, <laughs> it wasn't like you went in for that thing. Right. You happened to already have had a doctor's appointment. Right. And then also discovered this lump. Right. That you don't know what it is. And, of course, the first thing you think of is all the experiences you've had with other people. And start thinking about what if, you know, you've made another appointment with a regular primary care doctor to find out more and get more information. But in the meantime, you're you thinking about, about it. Yeah. You obsess and you think, what what if? Yeah. What if, what if, what if? Yeah, there's always a what if in there. I mean, that's really the definition of anxiety. <laughs> well, it's focusing like, on the future. Well, like, <clears throat> well, because I have been faced with my own mortality. Mm-hmm. I think about those things. I mean, I made you a promise I'd live till 80. What happens if I can't keep that promise, you know? Well, I will resurrect you and, <laughs> or mummify you and keep you in the living room. Just kidding. So, but no, it's a serious question. I mean, how does somebody go about when they don't have a family member go mm-hmm. with them mm-hmm. to the doctor and find this out together? Mm-hmm. How do you then, when you find it out, turn around <coughs> And approach your family and tell them this is what's happening without totally falling apart and being able to explain it rationally. Well, my first question would be, why can't you fall apart? Well, What what happens if you fall apart? Well, nothing's going to happen except for you have to be able to speak. (laughs) (laughs) I'm channeling Bill here. Yeah. Well, I realize nothing's going to happen, but I mean... When somebody, I would imagine when somebody has that type of um, scenario mm-hmm. that they themselves are going to fall apart first and their family's obviously going to notice something's wrong. <laughs> well, and, and I think, so there's a couple of different scenarios with, within that. Is your family close? You don't want to give that kind of information over the phone, but if they live on the other side of the country... Right. That might be the only option. Oh, that's true. Are they nearby? Do you have a close relationship? I mean, there's tons of factors even in that scenario where you found out by yourself. Right. And how long is it before you tell them? Do you fall apart right after you find out and you're still in the doctor's office or you're in the car in the parking lot and you just freak out? Yeah. (laughs) Because that's acceptable. It's okay (laughs) to freak out when you get a terminal diagnosis. And you're going to have to decide what you want to do about that diagnosis. You know, hopefully you would have talked to the doctor and gotten options. Is there options? Are there options? Um, You know, is there a treatment that you're willing to try or is it not worth it because you're not going to have a quality of life? So those kind of scenarios you may have already thought of in your life about what you, you are and are not willing to try. But when you get faced with it, as we learned with grandma... 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes those things change. You know, it's fight or flight. Mm-hmm. It, your body goes into a natural fight, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you want to live. And so, to be, I was suggesting that to be fair to your family, you try to tell them as soon as possible because they need a chance to grieve as well. But it's okay to take a little bit of time for yourself and figure out what you want. I think, you know, you don't have to run home the second you find out and be like, hey, I'm dying. Mm-hmm. Unless you're going to be dying in the next week. Then you probably, <laughs> probably want to hurry that process up. But, you know, I think it's okay if you take a day to collect yourself and be like, what am I going to do? What are my options and what do I want? And we're not saying that this is happening to me. No, we're going to actually pause this conversation when we're done today. And then we'll come back after she's been to the doctor and finds out it's nothing. But um, but my it made my curiosity say, how would I tell my family if something was wrong? How do people do that? And you were giving the example that you were with my father, mm-hmm. biological father, when he, I mean, that was really a quick scenario. 24 hours. You were saying he went into the eye doctor because he thought he needed glasses. And the eye doctor did the pressure test and said, you will walk over to the hospital across the street. You will get an MRI and you will not leave. Right. And didn't tell you why. Right. And then you go and get the MRI and the brain surgeon comes out and says, now you're really not leaving because you're going to have brain surgery. So I'm not really w- sure why we stopped the conversation right at that very moment. I don't either. I think someone must have been knocking on the door or something. But we're back uh, from, it's been a couple weeks since we recorded the first part of this conversation. Uh, to finish up that last story, uh, he had a brain tumor and had to pretty much immediately go in and have surgery. Um, three surgeries later, it's... It, uh, was not really worth the trouble anymore, and he stopped his chemo and radiation and surgeries and uh, went on to hospice. So Said he was done. Yeah. So that's the end of that story, just to tie a bow on that. But um, getting back to the original conversation of how you tell your family about a terminal prognosis, I think we covered most of that in the beginning of this, these first 10 minutes of... There's obviously going to be different scenarios for everyone, and if you happen to be at the doctor alone, um, then it's going to be up to you, depending on your circumstance and how quickly they think your prognosis is going to take. Right, and the part about being to the doctor alone, you get that kind of information, you forget most of what the doctor says. Mm -hmm. So you have to revisit that (laughs) and figure out what exactly the doctor said because at that point you're in shock right and you forget i mean you're hoping that you're not alone right when you get that kind of news i mean well sometimes you don't have that choice Mm -hmm. luckily i was with your father when he had that kind of news well and that i think is a much more rare scenario i think most of the time you're having pain or you're having other kind of symptoms that would lead you to believe it's more serious and so you probably would be with a significant other or a child, right. you know, adult child or whoever. People don't usually get a 24-hour death notice. <laughs> Normally, no. No. I'm, I'm thinking that's a... I mean, it happens. It does. You know? And, you know, hey, some people just dropped out of a heart attack. They don't get any notice. True. So, you know, 
I think for me, and this is kind of another podcast subject, but for me, sudden death for the person dying is great. That's how everybody wants to go, right? In their sleep and quickly with no symptoms. But for the people that are left... That would be the hard part. It has always been people that have died suddenly in my life. That has always been a more difficult grief. Than... Because you don't get a chance to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. But or... there's a balance, too. There is. Because if you have someone that takes a very long process to die, and especially if they have a lot of just terrible symptoms, right? you don't want that either. You don't want them to suffer. Not that we have a whole lot of choice, although, you know... In this state, there is such a thing as death with dignity. And, um, you know, depending on if you qualify. Although that wasn't available when your father was ill. No, it it was not. And, you know, if you want to know more about that, you can listen to my death with dignity podcast. But, um, yeah, so what are your thoughts now? You've been to the doctor. I've been to the doctor. Everything's fine. I I don't remember now because it's been so long. We didn't listen completely. Did we say what the issue was? I don't remember. Yes, I had lumps in my throat. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was but already... But you have a lump in your throat anyway. I do. Like always. You've yes. Always had yours. But there was another one below that. Mm-hmm. And, and this is kind of in on the side where your lymph nodes are. Right. And uh, I had gone into my... I already had an appointment with my pulmonary physician. Mm-hmm. And I had an MRI on my lungs. Because you had some... No, I went into my cardiologist. That mm-hmm. was for my yearly checkup before I had my pulmonary doctor, which I already had an appointment with him. Um, and these were all follow-up checkups. Right, they, right. Nothing was wrong. You were just having follow-ups. Right. My cardiologist, I go in once a year, well, once every six months to a year. If and, I... yeah, and a couple of days before the appointment you already had... I had these lumps. You noticed the lumps. And I had my cardiologist check them out and... The one I already knew I had, but the other one was kind of just below it. And he said, well, I don't do that kind of thing. Because <laughs> he, he's a cardiologist. Because he's a cardiologist. He says it feels like lymph nodes, but he says you need to have, you should have an ultrasound done on it. Mm-hmm. Just to make sure it's not my thyroid. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Because a, that's in the same area. Right. It's right in the same area. So I made an appointment with every clinic. And I went in, and I had an ultrasound done. Mm-hmm. And they, and then right after that, before I got the results of the ultrasound, I had an uh, MRI or CAT scan. For your lungs? For my lungs. Yeah. Uh, because it showed something viral in there prior. So we wanted to go six months and have another one done just to make sure. So I went into my pulmonary doctor and... Would you like to give him a shout out? I know you like him so much. Ah, oh, Dr. Shalaka, I love him. <laughs> and your cardiologist. My, I love both my doctors, uh, Dr. Mola Moody and Dr. Uh, Shalaka. They're both awesome. And I just love them to death because they're good at what they do and they're honest and they don't pull any punches. And uh, so I went into Dr. Shalaka and we compared the two x rays of your lungs. Of my lungs. And one showed. He says, oh, he says, well, your pneumonia's gone. I said, huh? What pneumonia? I said, what pneumonia? And before, when I had my other one, uh, there was kind of a shadow, and it was kind of, uh, they call it crystalled. It's some kind of crystals. Anyway, he wanted to make sure those were, he thought at the time it might be a virus, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't sure, and he wanted to check it in six months to make sure. 
And your symptoms weren't <clears throat> full pneumonia type. They were more no. just a cough or something, right? Yeah. I don't remember, really. And uh, so... So he, that was cleared up. That was cleared up. He says, look, it looks fine. Everything's fine. He says, you know, it looks like you had pneumonia at one point, but, you know, you don't now. I went, okay. And then I said, well, I said, how, since I don't have a follow-up appointment for my ultrasound, how do I find out the results? He said, they're just absolutely normal. It was just a swollen lymph node and no big deal. So, And I think by the time you had that appointment, your swelling had my gone My lump down. was gone, yeah. yeah. In fact, actually, when I had my ultrasound a week yeah, by later. By the time you scheduled your ultrasound, <laughs> the lump gone. was gone. <laughs> so, but they did check out the one lymph node that I've had forever. And it's actually smaller than it used to be. So, oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everything's fine. But, you know, you think of those scenarios when you have, all of a sudden you have a lumpy throat. You know, I mean, you reach up and you feel a lump you've never felt before. I mean, you've had swollen tonsils before and you can feel them. You know what those feel like. Mm -hmm. But this was down below. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just not usual, not normal. And it kind of bothered me. So I got to thinking about it. That question, I'd never asked that question or never thought about that question before because I'd always been there and found the news. And have been someone else. Yeah. And uh, I always wondered, how do you tell your family? I thought that was pretty important to talk about. I think so, too. Because I don't think people, you don't know how to tell your family. How are you going to react? Well, and that's, I think I might have mentioned this in the earlier part of this podcast, but unfortunately, as a hospice social worker... I have been the one to tell the family your prognosis. I haven't been the one to tell them what their diagnosis is. But I have found myself in a scenario where they didn't have a clear picture of what the prognosis was. And so <clears throat> in telling them what hospice is, I have to tell them the eligibility standards. And the eligibility standards are six months or less as, as a likely prognosis. So... Um, having to be the one you can tell right away if their doctor has told them this uh part of the times that that's happened i think is when they've had some kind of exacerbation and come into the er and they're in the hospital for observation and then they're getting this consult as opposed to they've had you know cancer and been doing treatment for a while and now it's not working i mean that's a different scenario well this is an interesting point because when your father had his tumor when we first found it he had his surgery within mm -hmm. 24 hours mm -hmm. we sat into the doctor's office and asked the doctor what's the prognosis mm -hmm. he told us six months or less we didn't hear that at all oh they actually told you and you just weren't even hearing we it were even, we weren't hearing it because mm -hmm. we were still in shock mm -hmm. from him having to go into brain surgery right just within 24 hours your brain shuts down and you're not comprehending really what's going on mm -hmm. so when the doctor told us that and he told us again a year later <laughs> you know mm -hmm. and um so he, and he lasted two years so there's no they can't really say they can give a good educated guess depending on what you have mm -hmm. how fast growing it is which his was the worst but he lasted two years but we didn't even hear the six month part well and that's a really good point is that people in shock are not going to hear the first right. or second time you tell them and at the same time there are doctors that are not comfortable having end-of-life conversations right there's a reason there's an entire specialty called palliative care 
and those doctors have special training. They are starting to incorporate in medical school, as I understand, um, more residencies or rotations through palliative care or hospice so that doctors have a better understanding. But their entire goal and training is all about treatment and curing. So right. it's it's almost against their Hippocratic Oath to give up. And, and again, hospice and terminal diagnosis does not mean you give up, but that's how it feels to them. If right. they can't continue to treat, then they feel like it's giving up. And it's that they can't help with what they have to offer. What they'll have to do is pass it over to a different team that has different tools in their toolbox to be able to help. But, you know, that's it's changing slowly over time. Um, but you're right. Some people are just not going to hear it right at first, no matter what. Right. And that's where I think sometimes you come in when you're hospice, you explain it. And they ask for the prognosis that they've probably already heard, but really didn't hear it. Mm-hmm. So well, sometimes I've been in the room well, with the doctor, so I know they didn't. Tell yeah. Them well, you know, I mean, it's all all a different scenario. Everything's different. But right. if they actually ask the doctor, which most people will not ask the doctor because they don't want to know. Right. We ask because we wanted to know, and although we didn't hear it, so mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Anyway, it, it's. It, it's just a nagging question I've had in my mind, regardless of whether I had a problem or not. I thought about it years ago, and, and it just kind of dismissed it. But this time, I really got to thinking about it because I'm almost 70. I mean, it's something I have to think about. And you've had health issues. I have had two heart attacks, and it's not, you know, it's a serious thing. So how do you tell your family? Well, now that we've you know, been talking about so, it, how, what do you think? How would you tell us? I don't know how I would tell you. I still don't know how I would tell you. I would probably take my time. I would Assuming you were in there alone, which you probably right. wouldn't be. Probably not. But I go to the doctor alone most of the time. But now that your dad's retired, mm-hmm. I won't be alone probably. Because <laughs> he wants to know everything. But uh, <laughs> Damn, it sucks when somebody cares. I know. But, so yeah, I mean, how do you... I still don't know how I would have to process it. I'm probably sure I positive I would have to process it. But you and dad would know something was wrong because mm-hmm. I'm so readable. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't hold anything in. I would just be a wreck, <laughs> you know. So you would probably I would just probably blurt it out or something. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think there is a right answer. Is, is the answer. There's not one way that you tell someone I'm dying. Yeah. It's completely dependent on the circumstance. Who you're telling, what your prognosis is, what the disease trajectory looks like. Yeah. Um, if, if it's you, curable, if it's not. If you have a plan for what aftercare looks like or um, if you've had conversations in the past about death and dying. I mean, all of those are, are factors. What your relationship is with the person. So I don't think it's just cut and dry. Here's how you do it. Everybody's going to be different. Mm-hmm. And some people don't want to know. Yeah. But I think to just come back to the point of it's important that you do tell them. I mean, take some hours, take a day or two to process it if you find out when you're by yourself. But don't wait too long because that's, you know, that's not really fair to your loved ones. Right. I agree with that. 
Um, it's, it's still, as long as you're decisional, it's still your choice what you're going to do about it. But it's not fair to let them, you know, to have it in your mind that you're saving them from suffering or saving them from worry. What you're really doing is taking away their time to grieve. And right. so it's just, try to think of it that way is that no matter what you feel their reaction might be, you don't know. You don't right. know until you tell them. Right. Maybe you think they're not going to be helpful and their help's going to come out of woodwork. Or maybe you think they're going to be helpful and they all disappear. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> but, been there, but done that. But you won't know <laughs> until you tell them. Right. And until you tell them and until you're able to discuss it, then you can't make a plan to go forward. Correct. I so. agree with that. I agree with that. I, I still don't know what I would do because I haven't been in that situation. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like I got close to it. <laughs> <laughs> with the heart attacks? Uh, no, because you were all there, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I called 911. <laughs> what do you mean when you get close? When you got close well, to I didn't get close, close, but I mean, with the lumps in my throat, it could have been anything. And with the mm. with the crystals on my lungs that I didn't know were clear, mm -hmm. I mean, it could have been absolutely anything. Sure. So I kind of tried to prepare for the worst. And, and of course, we've had someone in our life that had lumps right. in their body that took them in two months. Yes. So, I mean, it's, it's a little disconcerting, and uh, you think about it. It's what made me think about it again, only this time a little more seriously. Mm -hmm. And uh, I kept thinking, how would I tell you? And that's where this... This conversation came into play. Did you finish your power of attorney and advance the I did not. <laughs> Are you going to do that? Because I'm going to ask you yes, every time we talk about it. I will get it done. When are you going to get it done? I'm just going to write it down on a piece of paper. I gave you the papers. I don't know where it is. I'll give you another one. <laughs> I have them in my car. <laughs> I need to get them done. Oh. See, that's another thing. People don't put it off or your children will drive you crazy. Well, probably not all children because they don't think about it daily. Well, that's true. You already have yours done. Yes, I do. I've had them done for years. I know. <laughs> I'm but you've already got your cremation paid for, so that's something. I do. And I, I appreciate that. That was funny because when your dad and I signed up for that, his was cheaper to pay for as far as payments. Mm-hmm. Mine was higher because I had already had a heart attack, so they assumed I was going to die before I got mine paid for. <laughs> but I fooled them. I did not. I actually got mine paid before before Dad did. Well, it... you're required to live for another ten years at least. You promised. I did promise. So I didn't guarantee it, but I promised. <laughs> I don't feel. Who was it? I was talking to the other day. This is a whole different subject, but. We were, oh, it must have been Kathy back east, is how our bodies are at this age. And she's my age. She might be a year or two younger than I am. But her, she's had really bad health issues for her knees and everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, you think your mind is not as old as your body is. Mm-hmm. The old adage, you're only as old as you feel, except for you feel a lot older because yes. your body's breaking down. <laughs> but your mind is, uh. is like, I have thoughts of in my 20s and 30s. Like, I, I'm, I can do anything, and I can't. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, uh, and it's so discouraging. <laughs> Why do our minds do that to us? Why don't we think as old as we are? Well, maybe we'll have another podcast where we talk about how do younger people and children, adult children of their parents, help them process and I don't want to say understand because I think you do understand, but help them cope with being able to have functional decline and accept that they can't drive, for example. Or, I've actually thought about that. Or that they're a fall risk or things like that. Like back to your point, it's, you know, it's in your mind. You feel like you can do it and then you can't. And yeah. it's, it's that loss of autonomy. So maybe we'll have another conversation about yeah. how, how can younger people best serve their elders with that transition. Well, there's a, there's a main functional problem with that. You and I have always been very open, you know, mm-hmm. to talk to each other. A lot of people, parents and children, do not have that open communication, which makes it very difficult, I think. Yeah, that's true. I mean, well, if you think I couldn't drive, you would just take my keys. That's probably true. <laughs> so. <laughs> Doesn't mean it wouldn't be a fight, but. I'm a weevil, but I do fall down. <laughs> uh, and I know that. I have to be aware, very aware. But I see people that are younger than me look older than I am and act their age, talk mm-hmm. their age. You know, they seem older than their age. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, let's save that for a different Okay, well, different that's topic. a whole other thing. Anyway. So, yes. final thoughts on t- difficult conversations of terminal prognosis. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't. I still don't know the answer to the question. Say, I guess. Say it over a meal because food is the commonality of everyone. Yeah. I just, I'll just have to wait and see when the time comes. If the time comes. Yeah. You know, because I don't know. I, don't, I guess you don't know until you're there in that situation. That's true. So, there you go. All right. Well, thanks for talking to me about this. You're welcome. And if anybody has any great suggestions on how they have experienced this or how they think they might experience this, because, again, you don't know until you know, um, go ahead and email us at contact at willallbedeadpodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook at Someday We'll All Be Dead, and we're now on Twitter at Someday Dead PC. So think about those things because you may get the chance to know ahead of time, not always, and uh, then you can have those conversations with your loved ones if you're able to. And why is that? Because someday we'll all be dead. <laughs> <laughs>